Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to share our podcast has been nominated in Boise Weekly's annual Best of Boise contest. And while it's an honor to be nominated, I have to admit it would be even more fun to win. If we've helped you connect to the city you love, go to the link in the show notes to vote for us by May 23rd. Thanks, Boise. Today on CityCast Boise, Republican state lawmakers seem to be targeting Boise's new tenant protections, a 26-story luxury apartment building named Arthur, and gentrification comes to West Downtown. Plus, why Hey Boise newsletter editor Blake Hunter might hop on a flight to Wayne Country someday. It's Friday, February 23rd. I'm Nick Kwa, and this is what Boise's talking about. Okay, we got uh, a couple stories from this relatively short week, which um, honestly feels like one of the longer weeks yeah, that I've had in a while. I agree. But maybe that's just me. Let's start out with um, this uh, this thing that's moving through the the capital, this House Bill five forty five, which has actually some very kind of hyper local impact here on, on Boise. The larger context here is that the House Bill five five four five is is meant to curb certain ordinance that came into place uh, that was activated earlier this year, January 1st, and it has to do with the renter with renter protection. So last year, the Boise City Council unanimously voted to adopt probably four uh, new tenant protection ordinances. Yeah. They kind of ran the gamut a little bit. Uh, they prevent landlords from retaliating against renters who make requests, I think specifically about repairs, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, they also sort of require landlords to return uh, security deposits when the buildings are demolished, which are happening a lot more these days yeah. because um, yeah, we're going through a development boom. Uh, they also, uh, you know, mandated landlords provide renters of city documentation essentially like letting them know that yeah. they have rights. But the most important thing and the thing that House Bill 545 is targeting is the ordinance that prevents landlords from denying applicants based on their source of income, right? right? And they could run the gamut. Uh, I think it could be could be child support. Uh, but specifically, the thing that the discussion in the Capitol has been revolving around is the Section 8 housing voucher, mm-hmm. which is um, housing assistance from uh, from a federal level. Of course, this is just moving to the floor. There's nothing definitive about the state of, of how the ordinance will be affected just yet. But you can kind of see where it is coming yeah. from. Right? Yeah. People screaming landlord rights. Like, what is this what you've been hearing as well, Blake? Yeah. And, and this is kind of the latest iteration of City of Boise does one thing, you know, in the summer or the fall. And the legislature mm-hmm. uh, brings it up, uh, you know, just a couple months later and says, no, you can't do that. And so... You know, the legislature is just kind of generally quite pro-business. I mean, the politics of, of landlords is is very fascinating to me of just this idea of <laughs> passive income. And oh, yeah, as, as a renter, that, that really gets me riled up. But their language that they're saying, uh, to kind of give them credit as far as what they're saying, is that the city of Boise, which of course they're not mentioning the city of Boise specifically, they're just saying... They're saying local governments, right? Municipalities, yeah. Uh, are forcing uh, landlords to abide by optional federal housing programs like Section 8. Right. So saying that they're mandating that they participate in these, uh, yeah, optional optional programs. And yeah, you know, as you can imagine, uh, for housing advocates, this is worrying. And so the I actually first heard about this uh, from the Boise Ada County Co- Coalition for the Homeless. And they kind of sent out a press release. They were really trying to activate around this. This was actually last week uh, when it first when House Bill 545 first came out. They're really concerned. They're um, concerned that this is going to take away from uh 
housing nonprofits' ability to respond and to, to to help people. And also, you know, this is just going to the city of Boise passed this for a reason, right? You know, like this mm-hmm. is income that people are getting, and so they should be able to use it um, just just like any other income. Which I guess that's that's what I think, um, and that's what certainly a lot of people in Boise think. One other thing that I do want to mention, though, is that actually another element that this bill would essentially nix is uh, a rental application fee limit uh, that the Mm -hmm. city of Boise passed several years ago. That was from city council member Lisa Sanchez, former city council member, who brought that forward several years ago. And then, you know, city of Boise tried to roll out all of these other rental protections. So we'll see if maybe some more bills targeting those other ones come down the line. Uh, But so far, it's just this one. Right. No, actually, we, we, I, th- I believe it was the Idaho Press that reported on another bill that was introduced earlier this month. Uh, I think it was 506 that's targeting local government's efforts to regulate short-term rentals. And in the bigger picture, is like we're using a lot of tools as a yeah. city to try to alleviate the housing affordability crisis. Um, and it seems like it, you know, the these the sort of response from the capital has been piecemeal to to attack any of these individual tools. Wow! Just just in real time, I just realized that we're late February, and so some of these bills are really starting to slip through the cracks for me. I just completely forgot about that until you brought it up. It listen, it's a huge abundance. It kind of feels like the like a wave that comes <laughs> oh, absolutely. through sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. And just to reiterate, right, like the 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 idea behind this bill, this uh, House Bill five four five is based on a, let's call it an inaccuracy, right? It claims that the, that the, the ordinance compels right. landlords to take Section mm-hmm. 8 housing vouchers. That's not yeah. true. It is the sort of line between uh, just the prevention of discrimination and like, quote-unquote, uh, quote taking away landlords' right. rights, right? That's not what's happening yeah. here. The re- whole reason that these ordinances exist is to alleviate the housing shortage, to alleviate a housing affordability crisis. Uh, just a ton of young people mm-hmm. in Boise, yourself included, that... Um, simply find it very, very difficult to to deal with the cost of living, to deal to find places that are affordable to live. And that's to the detriment of the health of not just Boise, but the state in the long, long term. You want people to right. stay. And for people to stay, they need a place to live. It's frustrating. I mean, I can only imagine working at City of Boise or, you know, any county, really, anyone in local government will tell you and has told us for so long that, like, the number one worry about constituents is housing and housing affordability. And so then you have the legislature coming in and saying, yeah, but, you know, landlords, landlords rights are really important. <laughs> it's just like, OK, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. The uh, landlords are people. Exactly. Too, That's what I actually have a bumper sticker on my yeah. car that says that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, I guess, this is a this makes for actually a decent segue to the second thing that uh, that sort of caught our attention this week. Um, it's the it's the Arthur being completed. First of all, the Arthur, if you don't know what it is, it is that very large thing, a building that's currently shadowing over the record exchange downtown. Blake, this one caught your eye in particular. Could you just, could you walk me through what's the development here and, and what it's making you sort of think about? It caught my eye because I can see it from my apartment. Uh, it's, you know, <laughs> and a lot of people can see it from their houses, I'm sure. Uh, RIP that parking lot behind the record exchange. Um, I'm sure so many people listening remember that parking lot, which, you know, during the <laughs> pandemic, it really turned into the place where uh, people had their Trump flags flying behind their trucks that they would circle around downtown. Oh, that's where that was. Got it. Yeah. Unfortunately, it pushed into the street yeah, itself, yeah. it seems. Uh, but even before that, I mean, that was, uh, <laughs> yeah, a weird, weirdly like significant gathering place for a lot of people over the years. But now it has been replaced by Arthur, which it's so funny to call it just Arthur, not the Arthur, but mm-hmm. apparently that's what it is. 
After uh, named after uh, Arthur Oppenheimer, yeah. So okay. th- this building is be- being built by the Oppenheimer Development Corps, and yeah, it's called Arthur, which I I just I hate, <laughs> um, but that's okay. But it's, so it's <laughs> this twenty six story uh, apartment building. I was like, I just gotta say, when, you, when, when someone says Oppenheimer and real estate in the same phrase, I'm thinking of Selling Sunset. But let's <laughs> yeah. just move on. <laughs> Never seen it, but I, I get, yeah. Oh God. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah, let's have a Selling Sunset. Uh, franchise in Boise. That sounds great. But yeah, so it's 26 stories. It's essentially just going to be all luxury apartments. Gosh, that's 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 what I was kind of afraid of. Yeah. And they haven't released exactly what the rental prices are going to be. But, you know, they've said, you know, it, mm-hmm. we're really we're selling something good here. So it's going to be more than your uh, market price, which, you know, again, if you've talked to anyone uh, about the housing crisis here in Boise, that's exactly what we've said that we need more of, uh, is more luxury apartments um, that <laughs> so few people are going to be able to afford. But they feel confident yeah. that they can fill 26 stories of it. They they, they feel confident. I mean, that's, that's what they've said. They said they, they felt confident they can fill these high rises, which when I look at that building, it seemed like it's floor to ceiling yeah. windows. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of remember. Actually, my head I guess it. I should attend. <laughs> I just assume that they feel confident about it. That was just an assumption because, I mean, they built it, but I haven't seen that quote yeah. necessarily. But it is part of this larger, we were talking about this a little bit, it's part of this larger kind of spread um, shift that downtown Boise has been making westward. And there's the Hotel Renegade, there's the Saratoga apartments that are on like front and 13th, I believe. Um, and so it's just one of three really big structures that's currently under construction mm-hmm. in west, like western end of downtown. And then, you know, there's plenty of other projects that are, that are in the works or currently being built uh, throughout western downtown, which is just a really interesting shift for the city of Boise and for downtown especially mm-hmm. because downtown is kind of the center of everything. And um, as it shifts westward, I mean, I, I joked about the parking lot, um, but... That like this is a small form of gentrification that's happening. Oh no, that, it's, not, it's not a small form. It's a pretty big, yeah. big form, right? Like you know that, especially since um, that those developments could have gone to uh, different exactly. kinds of housing, for example. Or um, and it sounds like with the anchors being uh, luxury apartments and the sort of amenities that would emerge around that, um, it it's hard to think that it actually would contribute very much to the alleviation of of housing affordability crisis here. I know, yeah. And it's it's part of this larger kind of gentrification of Boise that I've been thinking about a lot lately because I mean mentioning the Ar- mentioning Arthur right outside of it is 11th Street and so, you know, there's been mm-hmm. so much construction over the last year and you know, it looks great and I'm glad that they've they've got the bike lanes there now, uh the raised bike lanes and stuff, but it also it's got this cookie cutter element that you know, it you look at it and it just feels like it could literally be anywhere, which you know, is a big part of gentrification is is this kind of ease that you're trying to distill uh, in in wealthy people um, that can kind of they can kind of move anywhere with no restrictions. I don't know. I also want to add the caveat that uh, I say this as a as a white person living in West Downtown in a building mm-hmm. that was not here ten years ago. So I like I'm implicated in this as well. But it's yeah, it's this larger process of like I think that we think of gentrification as something that happens. Uh, in other bigger cities, uh, but it's absolutely still happening here. 
Yeah, at this point, it, it seems to be happening on a city. Like, it, it, like whole cities are gentrifying other cities <laughs> at this point, uh, which is, you know, it's, it ties into that discourse about, uh, you know, uh, quote, unquote, California's moving in and things mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, uh, this is obviously the, one of the biggest stories about Boise uh, in, in a minute. Yeah. And it's the, I, it could be, you could argue, that it's the defining story of Boise I growth and, and its yeah. discontents. And, you know, if anybody's listening to this, that has an, an interesting counterargument as to how exactly the... Uh, the standing up of uh, of, the, of Arthur will actually contribute to um, you know lowering house prices. Like if there's an economic cause and effect here that uh, we're not talking about nor we're seeing, and that we should be discussing, uh, please reach out. I'm, I would love to talk to somebody who's uh, sort of learned about this. Yeah. The sort of last sort of news story that we'll tackle today is something that I'm actually not super familiar with. It's um, sort of execution uh, uh, pre- uh, procedures, sort of preparations for the execution of Thomas Creech, who's a, a, serial a serial killer that's been behind bars for quite some time here in Idaho. Uh, Blake, could you walk me through who Thomas Creech is, what the circumstances are, um, and just give me some context around this moment? You know, I've written about this, uh, just kind of reporting what, sharing what other reporters have shared about this, about Thomas Creech's case um, since like last like October or so, maybe even a little bit before that. But essentially what happened in October, well, his, his original execution date was actually set for back in November. And Thomas Creech's lawyers have... Uh, requested clemency a couple times. They, they actually did get a commutation hearing approved back in November, and that's why that was delayed. But essentially, Creech um, has been has been served multiple death warrants since back in the like, 70s and 80s for murders hmm. that he committed. Uh, he's been convicted of, I believe, five murders and suspected in multiple more um, in multiple different states. But He's an interesting case for the death penalty conversation more broadly, just because his actual first sentencing judge has come forward and says that he believes that he should no longer be executed. Department of Correction officials have described it as a transformative process in incarceration uh, and has kind of seems to have just like changed who he is as a person and um, is very remorseful um, about the various crimes that he's committed. And um, essentially... You know, they've they've tried to request clemency, um, but everything has been rejected kind of all down to the wire, it seems like. So currently, Thomas Creech's execution date is set for next Wednesday, uh, February 28th. If it goes through, which it does look like it will, Governor Brad Little has said that he is going to go through with this, like he has no no plan to step in. It will be the first execution that Idaho has conducted since 2012. Again, the death penalty is a tough one. It's, you know, kind of no matter where you fall on it, uh, this is a tough case just because of his, uh, the ways that he's changed as a person. Um, and also when it's been so long since Idaho's last execution, you've got to kind of pause and really just think about it. Um, think about the why, right? Like, why why are we going through this? Yep. He, he's, you know, he's 73 years old now. Um, but again, it's also this is going to be uh, the method will be lethal injection. Uh, and two important notes that I always want to bring up around that is this is not a, a peaceful or you know merciful death. It's extremely painful. Right. And relatively new research has come out about that in the last like many kind of couple decades. Uh, so we have known that for a while. And then the other thing to mention about this is that 
states across the United States have had a really hard time obtaining lethal injection chemicals, uh, which is actually it's part of the reason why, let's not forget, death by firing squad is now currently legal in the state of Idaho uh, for other states as well. But we don't know where these lethal injection chemicals actually came from. So new legislation has made it so that uh, states and uh, pharmaceutical companies don't have to declare where where these chemicals have come from because it's been made such a big issue by anti-death penalty proponents, which, you know, part of part of their claim is that almost 200 people who have been executed in the United States since 1973 have since been found innocent uh, or at least mm-hmm. not guilty of those crimes which is certainly one big one big question mark that hangs over the death penalty conversation. It's pretty grim. Like there's just no matter how you slice it, even if you're very pro death penalty, um I mm-hmm. think that in the next week it's uh, this let's <laughs> this would be a good time to sit down and really think about what what's going on here, but it is currently scheduled for Thursday. Yeah. Right. We'll be keeping an eye on it as the week progresses next week. Alrighty, let's uh, let's end this week on a sunnier note. Um, and speaking of sunny, there is a California-related story that caught your eye, Blake. Tell me a little bit about um, about this sort of wine country jaunt that you're planning for yourself. Oh, okay. I guess I'm planning it for myself now. That's news. I'm excited about this now. Um, essentially. Uh, Avalo Airlines, which I'm actually not very familiar with Avalo Airlines. Avalo is actually a uh, it's a low-cost carrier uh, that's based in Houston. Well, they are uh, bringing a flight from Boise Airport to Sonoma County. Um, so all, all of my fellow wine moms out there, let's, let's go. Uh, but essentially starting May 2nd, <laughs> so getting ready for the summer, the Boise Airport is going to have a new flight twice a week, uh, Thursdays and Sundays. Uh, nonstop flight between the Boise Airport and the Charles M. Schultz Sonoma County Airport. So yeah, right in the middle of wine country. And this kind of comes as, as a at a weird time for the Boise Airport with a few different flight cancellations and shifts mm-hmm. over the last uh, couple months. Uh, so maybe this is kind of like the this is the little cherry that's supposed to like assuage us uh, that everything's okay because we can go get some wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we we had an, an interview yeah. with um, with the director a couple of weeks ago. And this is this feels like it's part of that push, right? Like they're consolidating flights based on demand. Um, and if the demand tells us anything about the makeup of Boise, the demand for a flight to Sonoma is, suggests that we have a lot of a wine yeah. enthusiasts in August who would pay a ticket for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a big wine person? Actually, I actually don't know. I'm kind of. I'm no. Uh, I love. I love to go. <laughs> I have gone and visited like a couple of vineyards uh, in mm-hmm. Canyon County that I've loved, uh, and I want to do that more, to be honest. But it just yeah. feels like I don't know. There's. I've still got that farm kid in me that just kind of will never not like. Hmm. I don't know. This is. It feels doesn't feel like a day that's super well spent to me, even though I do enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Are you? Are you a wine guy? I, I'm not. I would do an afternoon in wine country if there was anything but the wine. Actually, the mm. last time I drank wine was actually when I uh, got the wine pairing at Kin, and that was the one time. Yeah. The perhaps the time that I realized that I my body actually maybe is allergic and uh, rejects wine because I was passing out at the no. table. It did not feel good, uh, and it's nothing to do with Kin. It's no, 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 yeah, to yeah. do with anything. Turns out this is my biological constitution. Interesting. Okay. Give Give me a good non-alcoholic beer country that's yeah yeah where can we go is this like a european thing it's probably just like denver or something i don't know 
Well, so there's that. Uh, and then, you know, one last thing that caught my eye this week. Um, caught my eye because I signed up for it. So Race to Roby Creek. Yeah. This, uh, this big race that happens every year, half marathon, goes up uh, Shawmont Road and into the wilderness, I suppose. 2,000 feet uh, elevation gain, 13 miles or so. The thing sold out in half an hour this year. And it, it, it's I, I, was, I was told that it was popular. I did not know that Boise was filled with lunatics. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, actually, in I might be wrong, but I think that 30 minutes is a little bit long. Um, oh, really? I, I could be completely wrong on that, but I know that, like, I know it has happened faster than that for sure. I have to, I mean, I know that you've been getting into running more in the last year or mm-hmm. so. What compelled you to be one of the lunatics that uh, signed up for this? It's a combination of peer pressure and uh, arrogance. That'll do it. <laughs> I am not a trail runner. I am training to be a trail runner okay. for this. It's it's a it's gonna be a capstone. Like I I've, I am uh, I'm always looking for new ways to to, to abuse yeah. my body, and this is this is this it. and wine. Yeah, you're not you're not gonna join me out there. I've done it before. I don't need to do it again. I <laughs> so and I will say this is not it's not really a trail run. It's it's just a gravel road. Mm-hmm. But it is oh gosh, it's it's a pretty grueling one. Uh, I wish you the best of luck. <laughs> it's uh, and this is coming from someone from. All the Sawtooth Relay fans uh, of the podcast, mm-hmm. I have ran up Galena three times. Uh, I've done that leg several times, and um, obviously it's worse than uh, Roby Creek, I think, in my opinion, because you have to run another leg later in the day. But mm. Roby Creek is, it's a lot of fun, but my gosh, you really need, okay, you really need to do some knee stabilization uh, and really okay. build up that strength because once you get up the hill, once you get up the mountain, I should say, then you start going down and you, your entire lower body will just become jelly. And that is Gosh. honestly, to me, the worst part of the race is that like you go, you work yourself up so much for this huge climb, which it is really big, but then you, you know, you've still got a couple more miles left to go to get to the finish line. And um, that is where I almost died. So, um, yeah, just. Uh, oh, man. What yeah, have just, I, done? I guess I guess pace yourself. Just know that you've got to take on the whole race rather than just the mountain. Because I was running uh, at the time. I was just like really committed to being like everybody talks about the mountain at Roby Creek. So I'm going to kick its butt. Yeah. And then I. Um, Nobody tells you about yeah, going back down it. Which, you know, yeah. people do talk about it. Uh, it's on the map. Should have read it, but I didn't. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Best of luck. Well, <laughs> yeah. thank you for making me feel uh, nauseous. Well, we'll see, we'll so see how this the, goes. My strategy uh, is that now it's actually just going to be like <laughs> underwhelming and it'll be fine. So, Oh, no, no, no. Um, I have, well, my heart palpitations is, is picking yeah. back up. Uh, before I pass out, uh, thank you so much for joining me this week, Blake. Uh, I wish you a great weekend ahead. Thank you. Have a good one. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. The show was produced by Evelyn Avitia, Frankie Barnhill, Grant Irving, and Dylan Broken. Blake Hunter writes our Hey Boise newsletter, and our music is by Up Is The Down Is The. We'll be back Monday with more stories from around the city. See you around. <laughs>